<clears throat> I'm going to share my screen because I got a lot of things I want you to see, a lot of scripture. And uh, so let me do that. And let's bring it up. Look at my desktop. What a mess, right? Oh, sweet. Okay, let's see. Um, all righty. Here we go. <clears throat> well, I know Ava told me that you guys are planning to um, start a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so while we were talking about that, um, well, in fact, just last Wednesday, <laughs> we were talking about that and thoughts came to my mind. And uh, and I, I said a handful of sentences and Ava said, oh, that would be good. So my particular assignment initially was just to talk about love. Um, as in the Galatians list uh, is the first word. But I can't help but thinking about all of that as an, what, if, what it led me to was to want to do kind of an overarching uh, foundational approach so that when you get into all the specifics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, etc., right? that this will help provide a framework for what it's about and where you're going, how to understand it. And then I hope it just sets you up to have a ball as you go through specific um, fruit one at a time over the next however long. Is that accurate, Ava? All right. Yes, you are. All right. So no foundation. The foundation, right? And so I threw together this title, Likeness, Love, and Fruit, because I think um, they're important three words for the foundation of getting ready to, to study this. And I asked the question, what do they have in common? And today, the verse that we, the passage that we had read was Exodus 34, um, 6 and 7a. And you're going to see why as we get into this a little bit deeper. And so likeness, love, and fruit, what do they have in common? Well, first, as you see here, <laughs> likeness. Likeness is what we were created for and what we are being transformed to be. In fact, earlier, Ava uh, made this statement, right? We're going through growing pains. And Ava, I had to laugh because you and I have talked about this, that sometimes I think growing isn't a complete, as complete a word as transformation, right? It's transformational growth. And that process like never stops. Like growing gets to a certain maturity, transformation, it just seems to go on and eventually reaches a maturity too. But the idea that I love about transformation is the fact that we start as one thing in order to become something else. Growing is limited, I think, as a metaphor to just a seed, although inside the seed it has a DNA, but not necessarily negative. Transformation, when Paul says that he wants us no longer to be conformed, but to be transformed, it means from something into another thing. And in that sense, there's always transformational growth going on, transform, uh, growing pains or transformational pains. But the point is, this is what we're on the planet for. This is why Jesus came, why he sent the Holy Spirit. 1A, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And ultimately was to fill the world with his likeness, i.e. his behavior, his love, his affection, really the fruit of the spirit, that the earth would be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. But the problem is, is that love requires, from my point of view, choice. 
and by Genesis 3, because they had choice, because right, love wouldn't be meaningful if there was no choice. If you had to, what joy would there be in that? So God gives choice. The dilemma was, was that the possibility was choice would be self-centered and not other-centered. And isn't that's the nature of the temptation? You could be like God and it looks good for food and it would make me wise. And, you know, and she's thinking about all of what it would mean for her personally. So she doesn't care what God says or thinks, and she chooses to do her own thing. And the planet's been a mess ever since. And the worst thing is that we've become image bearers of Jesus's arch enemy, the devil. We're more like him. The earth is filled with more of his likeness, evil, pain, all of that, right? Letter B, Paul says, and I didn't mean to have that cross out mark there in the quotes, God predestined us to be conformed to the image or likeness of his son. Predestined. That's what I mean. When we were created for, this was his plan from the beginning, was to fill the earth with his likeness, which would result in joy and peace. And just... The planet would have been an amazing place to be on. And so I put it personalized there. You see in bold there in the middle of point B, from God. I, I, God, predestined you to be conformed to the image or likeness of my son. Where later in Colossians and Corinthians, Paul writes, who was the image and likeness of me in the world. This is what it's all about. This is why we're on the planet. This is why you read the book. You go on a cruise. <laughs> you do this and you do that. All of this is to this end. Is to transform you. So that every thought and decision and attitude and behavior is like God. Is like Jesus. Such that in, in letter C there, John writes, because John writes, as God. He, which can either be God or Jesus, as he is, so we are in this world. As he is, so we are in this world. Again, such that God would say, do you hear me? Beloved children, as I am, so you are in the world. Like father, like son, like older brother. As siblings, we are like. In letter D, Paul writes, and to put on the new self, created to be, what? Like God. In true righteousness and holiness. And he finishes a little bit later. He continues and says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And the thing about imitate, people really don't, understand today because you can read about the things Jesus did. Imitate never means, and I say this kindly, the old thing, what would Jesus do? It didn't mean read about what Jesus did and try to do it. Imitate means that you copy an interaction as remembered by mirror neurons. The old saying, monkey see, monkey do, that's for real. That you actually have certain kinds of brain cells, brain neurons that are specifically designed to copy, to mimic. It's mimeo is the verb. To mimic, to imitate what you see and hear. Imitate is an interaction. It's relational. It's something you do and see together in which you copy. It was never just what you read about and trying your own strength to put it in practice. God designed us so that you watch it, you do it together, and it causes you, it just gets um, internalized in your mind, and it just comes like that eventually, right? But Paul also said to be created like God in true righteousness. You know, that's a word that's all over the place. And I have a dear, dear friend was my Hebrew professor in school. And now all these years later, we're really, really close friends. He actually lives right behind my house. So we talk together, see each other. He just finished 
a three volume book volume series on the word righteousness and all mostly we only think of it in terms of right standing and that is a usage but the primary meaning of the word righteousness he tells me after all his research letter e it means to live in conformity to God's being and doing. Do you see the likeness language even in that? Created to be like God in true righteousness means to be, be, to be like him in his being and his doing. Conformity, transformed to do, live in his being and his doing. This is why there's this one, there's numerous places where, but one in Psalm 89 where it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Righteousness is God's being and doing in the earth. Justice is what we do to correct unrighteousness. When people are not behaving like, justice works to restore, to bring back, to set into the right order of righteousness, conformity to his being and doing. So you didn't think about that. Letter E, Roman one, Romans one, or Roman numeral one and two there. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but of righteousness, living in conformity to his being and doing, which results in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Even in Galatians, love, joy, and peace. When love abounds, so does joy and peace. Remember, Jesus said, remain in my love so that you would have my joy. And my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. Now look at some of your faces like, hello, are you guys alive out there? We were made for joy. We were made for joy. Conformity to his likeness results in joy and peace. And who doesn't want that? Oh my gosh, right? So finally, letter F here. His being and doing is love. Because as John told us, God is love. Conformity to his, his being and doing is love in every way shape thought anything about it that's what righteousness means that's what likeness ultimately will be about right so point two here likeness equals love and jesus made that clear in the beginning of luke's gospel jesus says this the student and i did mean to put a line through the word student and it says apprentice for a reason but listen the student is not above the teacher but everyone who is fully trained not taught fully trained will be like their teacher do you see even that jesus's first words the, in luke's gospel the first time he teaches he does a shorter version of the beatitudes a longer version than matthew about loving your enemy and then he says don't judge don't condemn give and forgive um if blind men if you follow a blind person you're both going to fall into a pit and then he says this at the very, 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 very beginning, he tells them, here's the goal. Here's the mission. Here's the purpose. Is that I'm going to fully train you to be like you. Dave and I have talked many, many times. I wish we could get rid of the word discipleship and replace it with the word likeness making. Training to be like. And here's the other reason. The little paragraph underneath there. Why did I cross out student? Well, the reason is because the word conveys transfer of information. You think of lecture and a student and even kind of what I'm doing right now is telling you about stuff, right? But in the original Greek, the word meant learner, which you can see why they chose student. But learner, learner strikes me as something a little bit different from the verb to learn. The fascinating thing is that Latin translated that Greek word learner as discipulus. 
Do you hear that? Discipolis. The King, King James Version, our very first English version, translated the Bible from Latin documents, and they invented the English word disciple, which doesn't mean anything to us in any way, shape, or form unless you are in church. And the point is, I think the best word for a learner is apprentice. Why? Because an apprentice learns primarily by watching and doing with some instruction and some feedback. So there is some talking, right? Here's how, and then give you, oh, why don't you try it this way? But then you get to do it. You get to observe it. Training is very different than just teaching. And training implies a relationship. Apprenticeship applies a relationship. So truthfully, I wish we'd all hear Matthew 28, 19. Go and make apprentices to Jesus of all nations. We don't really make disciples. We make apprentices to Jesus. They come to know him and they immediately get into this apprentice relationship to become like him. So that people can see and know God and who he is and what he's like is being and doing through you and me. And that's why we do everything that we do is to become like. Because there's a world out there. Jesus said, it's better that I go. If I go, then I'll send the spirit and I'll make you guys like me so that you can get to the people I could never have if I was still a person on the planet. You get it? That's why we're doing all this stuff. And there's so much joy and fun in doing it. <laughs> being changed and going out there and being his presence to others, right? But again, as I said, Jesus' likeness here, number two at the top, likeness, love. <clears throat> likeness means love. Because now look, and all of you that know me well and have heard me many times, the original love command was love your neighbor as yourself, but Jesus gave a new love command. Well, which you know, right? Love one another as I have loved you. And here, especially the next sentence is by this, loving one another as I have loved you. This is how people will go, oh, there's an apprentice to Jesus. There's one who knows Jesus, follows Jesus, loves Jesus, is because there is a specific kind of love that's happening, that they go, that's one. Not because you, you have a bumper sticker, not because you, you, you go to church, right? I mean, what identifies us as his apprentices is this special, which the Greek defines the word new as unknown, strange, and remarkable kind of love. That's what causes people to go, who are you? Or I know who you are. Right? Isn't that cool? And you see the difference, though, here, the last, this last statement, the difference between the two, love as yourself and love as I have loved you, is that one is empathy-based. In other words, to love somebody as you would like them to love you, you just try to get into their shoes and imagine, well, I would, I would or wouldn't be like to be treated that way, so I'll do that. But you see, it doesn't necessitate a relationship with Jesus, with God, by the Spirit. On the other hand, his new command, what makes it ultimately new, is that you cannot love as Jesus has loved you unless you have been loved by him first. And in that way, there, the top, the sentence there, it says, so come to a first love, taste and see weekend. <laughs> so then you can practice and learn how to do that for the rest of your lives, right? Because again, he said, by this, everyone will know or recognize that you are my disciples, my apprentices, if you love one another, just as I, Jesus, have loved you. Do you understand? You cannot mistake likeness equals loving like. Loving like. 
because that's the way we're supposed to be identified and loving like Jesus, like God should be unknown, strange, and remarkable compared to the way the world behaves and acts and thinks. It should be recognized. It should be noticed, right? And what's really tragic right now, it's still so many people, when they hear the word Christian, loving is not the first thing that comes to their mind. Most of the time, 80 plus percent, the first word is judgmental then um, hypocritical, self-righteous, rule-based, on and on it goes. Almost never think about love. I mean, it, there, there are exceptions. Thank God there's exceptions. <laughs> it's not all bad, but there needs to be a lot of improvement from my point of view. But now here's the next thought, though. Love one another. How many of you at some point have heard the phrase, um, love is not an emotion, it's an action. Well, I want to disagree with that wholeheartedly. Love is both, totally, and needs to be both. So you see here, it says, love one another, a couple question marks. When I did my, my dissertation, this was one of the really fun things, both in Hebrew and Greek. That the that one the primary idea of love has these three words involved in the definition. Love always has to have a thought, and you see there I put a value thought. Right, like when you go to a yard sale, and something you used to value, now you don't. It went from treasure to trash. Somebody else comes by and goes, oh, I've been dying to have one of those. For whatever crazy reason, your trash becomes their treasure. But the point is, suddenly they have a value thought about it. They feel some sort of affection for it, right? Oh, I love that. I just love that. I got to have that. And then they're willing to pay. Love begins with a value thoughts and then and then value emotions, which I'm calling affection, which then results in expression, in other words, fruit. In the Old Testament, you may know this 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 verse when God reminds them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That word ahav in Hebrew only means emotion. The most sure way of understanding that is that create that that perhaps somewhat difficult phrase when God said, um, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. That's a whole nother <laughs> teaching conversation. But the point is you see that it's love and hate. It's emotions. In Deuteronomy 10.14, one of my favorite ones, after he said to me, belong the heavens and the earth, everything in it. And then he says, but I set my affection on you, chose you, and love you. And there it is even the verb, ahav. And the thing that, the word that gets translated affection there. And later in Philippians, I put it there, Philippians 1, 8 and 2, 1. Um, if you look there in the third, the third line, let me bring it right to the tip top, I hope, I think. You see that there? It says Paul, Philippians 1 and 8, and the word splankna. Um, that's my form of it in English. The word splankna means bowels, means intestines. It means most of the time compassion, like from the womb, from the deepest part of you, where Paul says that I that God can testify of my affection for you. And it's the same idea. 
And it's the same way that in the New Testament, right here, the top one, Jesus and Peter. Remember when, when Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you. Remember, he says, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. But then what's the action? If you do, feed, take care of, and feed. But it begins out of affection, out of love, out of care for. See, here's the point. If, if, if love was just a choice, just action, without the affection, without the thought of value and treasure, you just do the loving thing. You know, to me, it could actually feel like um, just some of the words I was praying about. Imagine if you do loving behavior, but without love, without affection, without valuing, it might come across as dry or cold, sterile, indifferent, or robotic. Right? You don't want somebody just to do the loving thing. <laughs> you want a Affection. You want to sense that you're valued, that you matter. And that's why that group of words ultimately is what is involved, both in the phileo or agape, which, by the way, both of those are pretty much interchangeable and, ident and identical. What happened in the same way most of you probably don't know this. I didn't for most of my life. That synagogue is from the word synagogue, which means an assembly. And everybody understood it to be an assembly of Jews. But there was another Greek word that meant assembly, ekklesia. Paul took over that word and used it exclusively for God's new people made of Jews and non-Jews. Saved by Jesus, filled with the Spirit. Well, in the same way, phileo, um, agapao, both of those words were pretty much interchangeable. And even here, when Jesus and Peter, they switch back and forth between those two verbs. But somewhere along the line, the church took over agape and said, we're going to assign God's kind of love to that word. It wasn't understood that way in the culture. But he co-opted it and took it just like he took Ecclesia to be the name that when God's new people, saved by his love through Jesus by the Spirit of Jew and Gentile, Ecclesia is when they gather. Makes sense, right? So cool, I think, that God allowed a language that had multiple words in it so we could steal a few. <laughs> And make them mean something to us today in the church, right? Well, anyway, number three here, love, i.e. value and affection. And I have, I sent um, Ava this, this um, document. So if at any time you want it, you can ask her for it and she'll send it to you. Number three, so love, value, and affection is expressed in a variety of way, ways, i.e. fruit, depending on the need and behavior of the person or the neighbor in front of you. This is why in the normal teaching of first love, when we talk about when Jesus said, obey my commands, and we are arguing, no, just focus on one command. Be loved and love as. And the key question is, is that okay? And I said, well, of course it is. Because if you're thinking about the one, as I look at Rifa today and she's in front of me and my thought is, oh God, how do I love Rifa today as you have loved me? But what the way the love will be expressed is based on Rifa. What is her need today? Does she need encouragement? Does she need prayer? Does she need a hug? Does she need her feet washed? Does, he need, does she need her house cleaned? What is it she needs or if she behaves in a certain way that I would respond in kindness or patience, in forgiveness? Do you realize all those things I just listed are expressions of love and those are specific commands of Jesus, and they're specific words in the lists. 
fruit are simply the expressions of love. What it looks like, it's the fulfillment of all of Jesus's commands. And for that matter, all of the Old Testament. Remember Paul said with the old, the, um, old original love command, do this and you will fulfill all the law, he says. Well, how much more switching from the empathy command to the experiential command will you fulfill all his commands? But you can't go out and fill, fulfill 611 of them every day. You can't go out and do 73 of them every day. What you do is you go every day thinking, how do I love as you have loved me today? Right? So then I see <clears throat> Tashina, right? And I'm calling you guys out because you're the few faces that are up on my screen. <laughs> but again, Tashina, when I see me, Tashina, it's the same thing. Father, how do I love her as you've loved me? Oh, Lord, just stir up the, the, the value and the affection that you have given me and give me daily as I see her. Stir that up in my soul again, because that's how you feel and value her. And then, Lord, as I'm seeing her and feeling value, your value, your affection for, oh, Jesus, what does it look like now? What's the fruit? And I'd come up and I'd give her a big kiss on the cheek and say, sweetheart, thank you for singing Ferris Lord Jesus today. I love that hymn. That was a pure gift for me today. And you've got a beautiful voice and it was delightful to hear it sung. Well, what's that? That's encouragement. That's love. That's blessing. And you realize God doesn't come back to me at the end of the day and go, well, Lord, I did this for Rifa. I did this for Tashina. And God goes, yeah, but were you kind? Were you generous? Were you, you know, understand what I mean? <laughs> He's not going to go, well, what about all the rest? It's as dumb as when, if your kids went out and played and you ask them at the end of the day, you're tucking them into bed and you go, what'd you do today? And say, daddy, we, we rode bikes today it was so much fun and i go well that's good but did you play tag did you play board games did you play hide and see did you no parent would ever do such a thing well love's based on the same way at the end of the day he's not going to ask you did you do all 73 all you have to do is keep the one in mind father how have you been loving me with such value and affection in specific ways you've loved me, then now I can turn around and love them. Make sense? That's fruit. That's fruit, right? So now we get to his fruit lists. 3A. Now you understand when he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, which simultaneously can be righteousness, which results in joy and peace, and is expressed as forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you notice here in bold, I said, but the list is not complete. People often refer to as the nine fruit of the Spirit. Paul has no nine fruit. <laughs> because he has these other lists. And some really key words are missing in the, from the Galatians list. Like, look at this one. Clothe yourselves with compassion, humility, forgiveness. How can you not, how can you have a list of the fruit of the Spirit and not have those three words as well? Or even in this list, you see some familiar ones, but he adds unity. Remember, I would suggest, remember how many times Jesus prayed for unity? Unity is a fruit of the Spirit, and unity is something we work at. Romans um, 15, he says, make every effort for the bond of peace and unity. And I would say, <clears throat> um, the other document I sent to, to Ava today, remember 1 Corinthians 13? It always makes me laugh or sad. I don't know which emotion to feel. When people always want me to wants me or somebody to read 1 Corinthians 13 at their wedding, I just like, that's insanity. 
Why do you want to hear love is patient and kind, which is two of the words in the lists, and then eight negatives? Seriously, as a bride and a groom, are you guys all really struggling with being rude and proud and boastful and keeping records of what I mean? But you know, those are important words because I think the reason Paul did it is because he understood that these guys were all brand new words coming out of a pagan culture, not a Jewish culture. And he starts with patient and kind, and then he thinks, you know, maybe I ought to do some opposites because they're all really good at being rude and and easily angered and keeping records of wrongs. And maybe I could just tell them, don't do that, and we'll be on our way toward loving. Does that make sense? So even the opposite words are helpful words to the list sometimes. But here's the point. Where? Oh, wait, one more. Love is other-centered and sacrificial. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Or Romans 15, 1 and 2, he says, we do not please ourselves, but please our neighbors for their good to build them up. So important. It's not in the list, but I would add it to the list. So finally, letter E, where did he get these words and behaviors from? Remember, it's about likeness, and it, they came from God and Jesus. This is who they are and how they have expressed their love to us first and continue to do so every day in our daily lives. We experience dot, 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 love and value and affection. Some of you, if you haven't done First Loved in a little while, but I think you, I think I was saying it then. I just wanted to remind you that, you know, every time I begin something, and especially if it's a meeting or church service in particular, the first thing I love to do is to just remind everybody, you know, the Lord's been waiting all night, waiting for you to show up today to say tomorrow, hot dog, you're awake and you're here. I have been waiting with excited anticipation to love you. Welcome. We don't implore God to come and be with us. He's already there waiting with excited anticipation, filled with loving and value, valuing thoughts and affection, delight, rejoicing before you even arrive. But then now, remember, love is fruit, is love expression. Love begins with value and affection. Love is known, right? You can have all the value, thoughts, and affection for somebody in your heart, but if you don't say and do anything, they will never know what you think and feel about them. So this is why, finally, it has to be expressed, fruit. And here's the passage that I said to you, that, wanted, that we started off with today. Then Moses said, and God said, here's right before, here's Exodus here, but right before, remember this familiar passage, but so many people miss the connection because there's a little bit of distance. But in chapter 33, remember Moses says, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause, his first answer is, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. You know, we were singing that song, <clears throat> you know, love has a name. Love has a name. Yahweh, the great I am. He says, I will cause all my goodness to pass and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. And then he continues and adds in verse 22, that was verse 18 and 19. Then he says, and when my glory cast passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by because nobody can see me. But then here's what we read together this morning. 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, love has a name. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious, some translations, merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness or truth. And I maintain that love to thousands, forgiving, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Love has a name. And it didn't start with Jesus. And so many people think that the God of the Old Testament is the meanie and Jesus is the nice guy. And you realize when God said this, this was right after they had made the golden calf and worshipped it. This wasn't some list that God said, let me describe to you what I'm like and maybe someday you'll see that it's true. They were acted horrifically in his presence and then he says oh you know what i'm going to tell you about my goodness which this is what you just experienced compassion grace slow to anger abounding in love faithfulness maintaining and forgiving and these aren't just a list of words this is my being and doing and this is the people he was trying to make in his likeness. All the Old Testament stuff was, again, it's not a bazillion commands to try to measure up to in hopes that you'll be loved. They were all expressions of what loved God or loved others because God, Jesus said, of the 613, there's only two that you got to keep in your head and in front of your mind every minute of every day, loving God and love your neighbor. Because all the other 611 are simply what love looks like or doesn't live like, look like to God and others. It's all about this stuff. And here's the last page and I'll fly through it. Notice here's what Jesus said and did, and that these two are just like God in that list. Remember in Matthew, he says, I am gentle and humble of heart. You know what most people don't know is that the word gentleness, the specific, there's one specific word that gets translated consistently as gentle 14 times in lists. And there's three other words, so around 17 total that gets translated gentle especially men in the church. You got to hear men in the church. Jesus exhibited a gentleness. Remember Philippians, let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentle and humble. This is the posture of God. And Jesus exhibited it. Remember the woman who washes Jesus's feet, how he accepts her values her affection back for him, shows her kindness, and then forgives her to the, to, the, to the disgust of the Pharisee. John 8, remember the woman caught in adultery. Imagine the look. I think it had a look, not just words, as he looked up in her with gentleness, with kindness, with grace and mercy. He says, where are they, those who would condemn you? Well, they're not here. He says, well, then neither do I. You're forgiven and leave your life of sin because that just makes a mess of things. Come and be loved and love and it'll fill your life with joy and peace. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. Or consider in John 11, remember when Lazarus dies and when he finally gets there and sees Mary and Martha weeping and the others. And it says his heart was just so stirred. And then he wept with them, which showed what? It showed when they say, see how he loved him. Weeping, presence, compassion, coming alongside, being with. Jesus modeled emotion and action. And then even one point in his teaching, you know, there's three places where the great command and, uh, and the love your neighbor shows up in Matthew, um, Mark, and Luke. And in Luke's gospel, after he says, love, your, love God and love your neighbor, somebody says, well, who is my neighbor? Remember, Jesus goes into this story. 
called the Samaritan parable, which, by the way, most of our Bibles say good Samaritan. The word good is not in the text because to every Jew, that would be an oxymoron. They hated Samaritans and believed they were evil and vile. This is the point of the parable was that the religious guys, the Levite and the, and the priest walked by him. The ones that you would have expected to show deep mercy, deep compassion, which, remember, had a whole list of actions. Right at the end, he says, who was a neighbor? And the guy goes, well, I guess it was the one who had mercy. And he says, go and do likewise. But it began, they understood mercy and compassion to be not only something you felt, but that was expressed, right, by getting off his donkey, fixing him, bandaging him, letting him be on the donkey, putting him in a hotel, pays all the expenses of the hotel. Talk about sacrificial love. Mercy's not just an emotion, Jesus says. It comes out this way. And then Jesus, is a, Jesus adds, love your enemies. Love your enemies. And what's wild is that, well, you know the passage, right? Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And noticing Luke's gospel, it's about likeness again. Because he says, then your reward will be great and you will be children, imitators of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked, meaning you and me too. So be merciful just as your father. This is likeness. This is, I did this to you and for you first. So even this is likeness language. And what he's doing more than anything else at the beginning of his ministry in Luke is going after their perverted idea of God. Because their idea, remember in Matthew's gospel, they think God is all about these two Old Testament, or this one Old Testament phrase, eye for an eye, which was about justice, but there's a context for that. And then he says, you've heard love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Well, that's nowhere in the Old Testament. But the point is, is he's going right after the Pharisees to go, your idea of God is so corrupt and so perverted, and this is why I'm here, and this is why they hated him so much, because they wanted eye for an eye. They wanted to hate their enemy, and Jesus is saying, no, the Father is kind and merciful to the wicked and ungrateful, and oh, by the way, that includes you and me. And then Jesus finally adds, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his friends, lays down his life for the sheep. And then later says, greater love is no one than this, than they lay down one's life for one's friend. That should be in the list too. And ultimately, foundationally. This is why later John and Paul write, God demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners. And two sentences later said we were his enemies. He died for us first. So that later John writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Well, does that mean we should go out and, and, and die today, literally? Then he gets, he gets specific in one case here. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity or compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? You notice again, here's the emotion word. You value. It better come out in very specific. This is being generous. This is being caring. This is provision, right? And then finally, Paul says in Ephesians 5.2, and it's his version of the new command. Walk in the way of love just as Jesus loved us. And there are some early manuscripts that actually have the word you. I'm convinced this is Paul's version 
of the new command. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And you know, Romans 12, 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The reason why I did all this, you guys, is because, first of all, Galatians 9 is not the exclusive list. It was just the ones he rattled off really quick while he's writing a letter. It's what he could think of at the moment. But I wanted you to see that it's much richer, much fuller, and much deeper than that. And I wanted you to catch that it was based on God and Jesus's being and doing, which ultimately is our experience of all those things first is what empowers us to do it. You're patient because somebody was patient with you first, the way God was patient. You were kind because he's been kind to you again and again and again. And we, in turn, are kind to another. It's all predicated on that being loved and loving relationship with Jesus every day. You can't give away what you don't know. You can't imitate what you've not seen and experienced and had happen and meditated on over and over and over again. And you realize all of this list, this in fact is unknown, strange, and a remarkable kind of love compared to anything else that's on the planet. This would get us noticed. This would get us noticed. And somebody go, why were you like that? Because that's who Yahweh is. That's who Jesus is. And that's the way he's loved me. I'm just giving away what I've experienced first. So the final paragraph then, it won't go up any higher. Hopefully you see what likeness, love, and fruit have in common. Likeness is the goal of transformation, loving like God and Jesus, which then would stir up loving value and affection and be expressed as loving fruit. In other words, specific ways of expressing love according to a neighbor's need and behavior. And this happens as we walk in an apprentice relationship with the triune God, daily being loved by God and then loving as loved by the Spirit. So, Father, thank you for this opportunity to just do a brain dump. They can have the document. But whatever else, Lord, I just hope they'll just take away and just mull over and see what comes to mind around those three words. You can't talk about fruit without talking about love, and you can't talk about love without thinking about likeness. In the end, Lord, this is what it's all about. Transformed into your likeness, where we more and more are filled with value thoughts, affection, feelings for those around us, even enemies, and express it in remarkable, unknown, and strange ways as you've loved us. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Mark. That was so much. <laughs> we, we definitely have quite a bit of contemplation, meditation, reflecting to do. So thank, thank you so much for preparing and sharing with us.